0: This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land.
1: We acknowledge the First Nations and Elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. All right, Max, we have much to discuss. Before we jump into uh, the autopsy on the housing bill, we need to hang shit on Tim Gurner, the man with the largest forehead of all time. Who was at an (laughs) AFR Property Summit? Were you at that? Were you invited to the AFR Property Summit? Did you go? Oddly,
2: oddly not. uh, weirdly, the AFR aren't my biggest fans. I uh, have have yet to work out why. Actually,
1: (laughs) well, yeah. All right. We'll think more about that. You could have been hanging out with Rich Lister, Tim Gurner. This is the guy who, back in 2017, got on board the whole smashed avocado vibe too, and was saying that of course young people can't afford houses today because they are too busy paying. $44, $44, I think, he said, for smashed avocado and coffees, yeah. just a million, just four coffees a day, I think. He said young people uh, pay for it. That's why they can't afford a house He's a fucking lunatic. Yeah.
3: Um I think the problem that we've had is that we've, you know, we, we have people decided they didn't really want to work so much anymore through COVID and that has had a massive issue on productivity. You know, tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. You know, they they have been paid, paid a lot to do not too much in the last few years, and we need to see that change. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40 50% in my view. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. I mean, theres a there's been a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them, um, as opposed to the other way around. So it's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude, and that has to come through hurting the economy, which is what the whole global, you know, the, the world is trying to do. The governments around the world are trying to increase unemployment to get that to some sort of normality. And we're seeing it. I think every employer now is seeing it. I mean, there is definitely massive layoffs going off. People might not be talking about it, but people are definitely laying people off. And we're starting to see less arrogance in the employment market. And that has to continue because that will cascade across the cost balance.
1: Incredible footage of him saying that we need more unemployment, workers are getting too arrogant, goddammit, and we need more pain in the economy, and unemployment should uh, increase by 40 to 50 percent. Your thoughts on that economic advice from Tim Gurner? What do you reckon? Well,
2: apart from being obviously just completely morally reprehensible, it,
1: <laughs> like, like
2: yes. it's a, it is sort of interesting because you know, he's come out afterwards and being like, oh, you know, a, a complete apology, but. What's obvious is that he was at, he was at this forum, basically uh, with a large section or a good section of the Australian ruling class uh, and business class, and you know he let loose. He basically just told the truth about what he yes. thinks, and um, I think that is the uh, most compelling point. It's like they um, they sort of remove the velvet glove and um, you know behind the iron fist and reveal the iron fist, which is that that's precisely what they think. And look, I think this is. A, a, a good educational moment because, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, because these are the same people who, through the entire housing debate, have said that the solution is supply. That, like, um, and oh, if you cap rents, then that will affect the property market, or if you, um, in any way, affect our ability to make profit, and actually, uh, you are going to affect, uh, you're actually going to end up hurting ordinary people. We always knew that was a lie. And I mm. think if he was up there talking about that, what he'd be saying is, People, you know, renters need to suffer. Rents need to go up further. More people need to be evicted. Uh, house prices need to keep going up. That's what actually he thinks. And I think that, like, it's useful. And I hopefully some other people in the sort of so-called more progressive media who regurgitate all those lies about, uh, you know, the oh somehow um, this lie that, for instance, capping rents would um, drive up, uh, you know, in somehow drive up rents in the long term, which is obviously complete bullshit. Um, mm. Well, the same people that make I- that argument are the same people like Tim Gurner, who just got up and said that uh, revealed the truth, which is doesn't give a flying toss about ordinary working people and actually wants them to suffer and hurt more to increase their profit margins. And no, the bottom line is if that's if that's the system, if that's the economic uh, economic system that we have that relies, um, you know, from these cap- so-called captains of industry, um, uh, then... Uh, uh, that relies on more human suffering and and, and driving of further wealth inequality, then surely the solution is just isn't more of the same and not getting in the way of that. Which, frankly, even some parts of the again so called progressive media like to regurgitate. It is also funny to me that it was an Australian property developer that said it. Like, of course, it was a fucking Australian property developer that um, provided the platonic ideal of how of like the m- most evil and morally reprehensible parts. Uh, of um, Australian and global capitalism.
1: It's brilliant. I mean, I, I agree. I appreciate the honesty and it was mask off shit and it has gone viral, AOC's weighed in, everyone's talking <laughs> about it and it was good luck. It's like, yes, this is what they actually think and God yeah. bless Tim Gurner for being really, really honest and giving, giving us to a straight. The apology is extraordinary <laughs> if people haven't seen it. At the AFR Property Summit this week, I made some remarks about unemployment and productivity in Australia that I deeply regret and were wrong. These are clearly important conversations to have in this environment of high inflation, pricing pressures on housing and rentals due to a lack of supply, lol. Yeah, there we go. There it is, Mm. and other cost of living issues. My comments were deeply insensitive to employees, tradies, and families across Australia who are affected by these cost of living pressures and job losses. I want to be clear, I do appreciate that when someone loses their job, it has a profound impact on them and their families. I sincerely regret that my words did not convey empathy for those in that situation. Well, (laughs) I forgot to pretend to be a human being in public and I apologise.
2: Look, briefly I forgot my talking points and the lies that I meant to say (laughs) about what I actually think. The thing is as well is like, yeah, this is awful, um, but I don't know, um, I'd rather them be honest. Yes. Uh, Like the more infuriating thing I find, the more enraging thing is The cleverer ones like this guy's obviously an idiot, like he's just an idiot. Um, and whatever, like you know, yeah, good work, man. And uh, I'm sure the apologies are going to convince a lot of people, but um, the more um, skin crawling ones are the ones that get up and say, No, 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 this is for the benefit of everyone, yes, like you know, um, oh no, look, we really and you watch this from Labour and Liberal politicians get up and be like. We understand people's pain. Oh, we just understand it. And then at the same time, like, slipping the knife in under the ribs um, when they're doing things like, you know, passing the stage three tax cuts or refusing to lift people out of poverty. Because, um, and and the argument's the same, right? Like, Labor will say, for instance, we can't um, lift people out of poverty because that would drive inflation. The fucking, that's the same argument that Tim Gurner's making. It's just right. that Tim Gurner then says, we also want to kill you all. You know, <laughs> paraphrasing parody. That's not, obviously not what he said, <laughs> but the implication. Um, but, but people like Jim Chalmers and Anthony Albanese are at least are clever enough to not say the second bit out loud. Uh, and like... It, the, the, which is the second bit, which is basically, we have an economic system that we don't want to touch or shift because people, property developers in the banking industry, basically uh, wear their political representation in parliament. Um, we don't want to affect the way that operates. And so, uh, and if we do affect the way it operates, that'll affect their profitability. And the only way to protect their profitability is to make ordinary people suffer. Uh, mm. And... Um, I don't know. You have to I, I, discipline like, them, right? Like, this phrasing
1: yeah. about taking the arrogance out of the working class and uh, out of workers, like, and and this reminder of your place in that class system, right? Employees work for employers, not the other way around. Yeah. These are direct, you know, just unvarnished truth from the capitalist brain. A giant brain, it is too, going by the size of the forehead of this man. Oh uh, no, no, it's, it's a
2: pulse, pulsing brain. <laughs> the, the thing as well, the irony as well, is like, oh, um, where there's a skills shortage, and of course, um the obvious answer of paying people more and giving better conditions yes. so people are more likely to want to work in that industry obviously doesn't never crosses their minds and i think the reason they're banging on about this like because in it's true that technically labor has greater bargaining power right now when there are low rates there's a tight labor market and low rates of unemployment and unfortunately obviously the labor movement is relatively weak and anemic and so is proving somewhat incapable of pushing for far greater increases in wages and better conditions. And so, as a result, you sort of reach this impasse where, on the one hand, you have the material and political economic conditions for uh, um, that give technically, like on the ground, labor more power, but because you have a weak and anemic labor movement incapable of actually using that power or those conditions to push for more, and you have this impasse where, on the one hand, you have these people like psychos like Tim Gurner. Um, lamenting the fact that they can't just crush labor, but on the other hand, you have an organized labor movement that is uh, can't push to increase wages and conditions, and so you have these skill shortages and labor shortages mm. um, as, as sort of one of the sort of manifestations of that impasse, mm. which I think is sort of bleakly interesting.
1: <laughs> bleakly interesting. <laughs> it must be serious danger.
0: Talk about the greens. That- I mean, that bunch of idiots. The terrifying moral to this story is that our parliament, the government, can be held to ransom by the whims
2: of the Greens and their allies.
1: We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo's Shithouse podcast. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening. It is a podcast about Greens politics in Australia. It's not an official Greens Party podcast. I'm an independent journalist and I'm about to. Rip this Greens MP apart and hold him to account. It's made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. Thank you, the Griff. No Emerald this week. Her holiday continues. We'll be hearing from her very shortly. But, yes, I'm joined by housing spokesperson, old serious danger friend, and sellout question mark, Max Chad Levather, who joins us at the end of this very busy week to discuss what has been pretty massive, a massive development in the housing debate and uh, to tell us exactly what's gone down. Thank you for being here, Max. Thanks for having me. Uh, Quick shout out to our new patrons. Remember, you can go to patreon.com forward slash seriousdangerau for just three bucks a month. You get bonus content. You get to support the show. You get to pay, cover our very basic bills, pay Mike. No money for me in Emerald, even though it it seems like we've taken all that money and and come to Europe, which is where we're currently located. Thank you to Marco, David, Matthew Corby, I looked it up. It is not Matt Corby, the singer, who has a beautiful face, but Matthew Gosh. Corby, you're very welcome. Uh, Austin, Monique, Conrad, and Anne-Marie. This week we released a Patreon episode about co-ops. What are co-ops? How do they work? Where do they exist? Are they a solution to the horrors of the capitalist workplace? Uh, not really. But to listen to that episode, just sign up to the Patreon and you can listen to that and the full back catalogue, patreon.com forward slash AU.
3: Tim says expensive city housing isn't anything new and that his generation needs to stop whinging and start saving. When I was trying to buy my first home, I wasn't buying smashed avocados for 19 bucks and four coffees at $4 each. So you reckon that's real? Oh, there's no question it's real.
1: I got made fun of having a big forehead. This girl came up to me, she said, you have a five head. (laughs) At the time, I had never heard that term. I was like, what's a five head? And she was like, like a forehead, but bigger. A five head. (laughs) It sucks when you get made fun of, and then the person explains how they made fun of you. And it's pretty good. You're like, that's not bad, actually. That's clever. It also sucks, because if you get made fun of for being fat, that's horrible. But at least you can be like, you know what? I'm going to diet and exercise, and I'll show you. But if you get made fun of having a big forehead, there's really no action for you to take. You can't be like, I'll have the Caesar salad. I'm watching my forehead right now. I was pretty smart. I just tried to keep my eyebrows raised
3: all of the time.
1: All right, Max, obviously so much to talk to you about Uh, this week when the Greens Mm -hmm. reached a compromise decision on the half bill, the Housing Australia Future Fund, which we're all huge fans of here at Serious Stage. It always have been. Um, Errol Moon sent us a little video to share her thoughts and takes on this week and some questions for you. So we'll listen to this whole thing and then get into it.
0: Mamma mia, its me Emerald. I'm in Italy and I'm fucking livid that I don't get to give my takes on the event of the Greens hack century, the half now passing with the support of the Greens. Um, because, like, I don't now, I really am start, starting to question myself and whether I'm just too much of a Queensland Greens loyalist and too much of a hack Um, because I struggle to see people, someone messaged us even on the serious danger Instagram and was like, how do we fight this? And I'm like, fight this? Like, I think it's a strategically wise decision and a materially wise decision as well in terms of achieving gains. Like, I think that there are two reasons that we held out, right? The first is to achieve concessions that will make a difference in people's, lives. And the second is to help build a movement and particularly like build a political movement of renters. And I think that the first avenue in terms of achieving concessions from the government in the bill, it, it has been exhausted. Like I think Labor made it very clear. And I think that, you know, I feel as though we pushed and Bill told us to pass the fucking bill and we pushed and pushed and got $3 billion for public and community housing Interested to know the breakdown. Max, please explain, like, is there any detail there? Because that's one thing I want to know. Is it- but the second thing, like, using the bill as a lever to build a movement, which Max in particular spoke openly about and I think we spoke about in the podcast, I also think attaching that to the half bill has reached its limit. And I think that the more that we keep tying that um, that aim or, you know, that campaign to the bill. It just allows Labor to refine its strategy to come back against us and it loses its it loses its sharpness and people are just sick of hearing about this same bill. But we can keep talking about renters' rights. We need to find new avenues. So my second question is like when Max says that there will be future opportunities to fight for renters' rights, what are those opportunities? Are there specific specific bills coming up, specific points in time? I want to know that, but it's like, I think that this bill to start with was, you know, not a perfect avenue to fight for renters' rights and we used it that way and that's fantastic. And now renters' rights is like a massive fucking national issue when it actually really wasn't like the specific demands, particularly around rent controls, were not part of the national political discourse before this in any serious way. In fact, the NGOs wouldn't even talk about fucking rent controls. I remember like a year ago or maybe two years ago, they wouldn't, they would be like, they were like backing away from rent control. And now because we went rent free, people are talking about rent control. So that's my take. But yeah, maybe I'm fucking biased. I don't know. Um, and I do have questions for Max. Okay. So my questions, yeah. At what point... Um, you know, what are the future points that we think we can fight for renters' rights? At what point did you know or do you think you knew that no further concessions would be made by the government? Um, and, then, you know, obviously that would play into the decision to then support the bill. Um, do you think that we'll see rent controls happen more? At, like, are there more opportunities at a state level, ironically, with, you know, Albanese's obsession with the happening at a state level, but genuinely, like, do you think we'll see more movement at a state level rather than nationally coordinated? And do you have thoughts on the whole, the way that these decisions happen in the party? You know, how do we ensure democratic accountability of our elected yeah. representatives to the members? Um, I think there's always, it's difficult when you come to questions of, like, can you consult such a massive membership on strategy as opposed to, you know, our, our um, policy and the principles on which we negotiate I don't know. So thoughts on that, appreciated. Um, or is it just that, you know, you're a bit richer now and maybe looking at buying a house like like me trying to get out of the rental market desperately and so it just doesn't affect you anymore. So we're just selling it out now. Anyway, um, grazie, ciao.
1: Okay, a lot going on Ciao, there. Emerald. She, she really, <laughs> ciao, Emerald. She really slammed you uh, there at the end. I know there are a lot of questions there. We'll get to all those questions throughout the conversation. Uh, we might just take them in a, in a slightly different order there from from Emerald. And maybe just, yeah, it makes the most sense to start with the very basics about, you know, let's let's assume that the people listening to this podcast have been following the housing debate pretty closely across the That's think it. strokes details. What exactly went down this week? What did the Greens win? Where are we at?
2: So what down went down this week is obviously in the lead up to these this week, the Greens had already secured two things, $2 billion dollars. In direct investment in the social housing accelerator, uh, which is basically money distributed to the states that can only be spent on new public or community housing uh, or uh, refurbishing currently completely unused public housing. So, in in a state of disrepair and refurbishing to the point where um, someone could actually live in it. So, that's where that's the details of that. And we came up to this week, um, and in in the lead up to this week, we. National Cabinet had had its final meeting on renters' rights uh, and they obviously decided instead to uh, spit in the face of all the one-third of this country who rents, basically, and refuse to um, come to capping or freezing rent increases. Uh, and what had become clear in the lead-up to that week is um, Labor was making the active political decision, I would argue disastrously for them in the long term, uh, to uh, essentially pick the side of property investors uh, and property developers. Uh, you know they had started making all the ideological arguments against rent caps and rent freezes, and were digging in on that. And um, and so n- the other thing that was happening up until this week is Labor was refusing to offer a single, literally, a single extra cent um, in negotiations and housing. They kept saying there was no extra money in the budget um, until the until the um, week prior. They said basically it was impossible um, to distribute any extra money. Um, and uh, so when um, in the lead up to that week, obviously, we had started to be able to build a little bit of pressure. Uh, and um, what was also becoming clear is that on um, October 16th, when the bill was um, originally meant to come back, like ultimately, um, there was sort of two options there. Either we actually got something out of Labor or we got nothing and and, and we decided to vote it down. Uh, and either way, the, the the fight over the Housing Australia Future Fund was going to come to an end one way or another. Mm. And so, um, we pushed in that in those, those two weeks, uh, basically, we used it as an opportunity to fight as hard as we possibly could in negotiations to get actual real money um, and upfront investment. Um, and obviously, we managed to secure billion, a billion dollars, an additional a billion dollars in direct investment in public and community housing. Uh, and as a result of securing that, um, that to secure that billion dollars it was conditional on us agreeing to pass the half so basically we had a decision where we managed to get to the point where we'd secured a billion dollars uh and uh we could only actually get that billion dollars if we agreed to pass the half uh Mm -hmm. and um i I think yeah we'll talk about it over the rest of this cast podcast but um i mean i think it is worth reflecting uh and and i should be very clear obviously we weren't able to 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 get over the line on rent caps and rent freezes, I've said it again, like publicly all the time. This is just the start, and I think a lot of what Emerald, had, I really agree. Actually, like that was a really far more succinct than me. Actually, um, really good summary, I think, of the politics uh, and and um, the policy aspects of that. And um, I thought that was really good. Um, again, perhaps I'm biased, but um, <laughs> uh, and so we obviously we're going to pass it now. I, I want to be clear about this. Like this, obviously, does not solve the housing crisis. But but um, and but what I think it does do is two things. One, it locks in now $3 billion of direct investment in public and community housing. There will be tens of thousands of people that will get a roof over their heads as a result of the collective pressure of the grades. Um, and it does a second thing, which is prove that our pressure can actually work. Mm. Like that crosses a big Rubicon um, because what Labor was attempting to do was crush people's hope that they could be shifted at all and through um, the collective effort of a lot of people—not not not, uh, uh, um, not just the Greens in Parliament, but Greens on the ground across the country—we secured all of this money. And the other thing we secured in the half was guaranteeing the five hundred million dollars every year. Which mm. um, I want to be clear: at the start of this process, there was not a single cent of guaranteed funding. Now there is three billion dollars—six times what the half was going to spend at, mo- um, at at most every year. And I've guaranteed $500 million every year, and I think everyone should be really proud of that. And, look, I understand there's critics, but, look, to be a bit brutally honest, um, there's one movement right now that's just won the the most amount of money for public and community housing um, uh, in decades, uh, and it was the Greens. Mm. (laughs) Uh, And um, that, I think, provides a platform upon which to go and fight for the broader changes um, to the housing crisis because it gives people hope that their collective action can actually have a material impact.
1: How does Labor justify not having that $3 billion as part of the initial plan, right? Like how do how do you constantly bitch and moan publicly about the Greens delaying this bill and all this, the horrible things that the Greens are doing and then also turn around and say, okay, here's another billion dollars that we've suddenly found to invest in this in order to secure so your support, illustrating once again that there is that money there available to invest in this uh, in community housing and that Greens pressure works. I mean, I know it doesn't really matter because they're never going to admit anything differently, but how the fuck do they turn around to do that in negotiations and, and sleep at night?
2: I know. It's amazing, isn't it? And I, I think um, there's a few things. One, um, this is ultimately what this fight was about. There was two sides in this fight. There was one fight that wanted more investment in public and community housing and national freeze on rent increases and caps thereafter, and another side who, didn't, who wanted less like less for yeah. public housing, um, nothing for renters. And that, and there was a, a clashing of horns over that, like two movements fought each other. On the one hand, there's a movement, the Labor Party, who are largely now undergirded by their um, the material support they receive and their interconnection between the banking and property industry and fossil fuel industry, uh, who uh, would be materially threatened by a mass build of public housing and in any regulation of rents. And the other side, a burgeoning and, and um, emerging movement or in the Greens, uh, again undergirded by an increasingly politically and self-consciously aware renter class, uh, and um, we clash horns. And you're right. Like it, I, I think there should be some moral clarity here. Um, uh, if it weren't for the Greens pushing, there wouldn't have been a guaranteed five hundred million. Like in some years, there could have been zero dollars spent on housing, and now this is extra three billion dollars. And the question I think that a lot of people in the Labor Party need to ask themselves is why did it take? Um, one of the biggest political fights we've had in years um, just to force the Labor Party to cough up uh, a few extra billion dollars for public and community housing work. And for all of that, I hate to be a bit mean, but for all this, like, changing the Labor Party from the inside, if we just relied on Labor left, then we would have got nothing. So, uh, and I think this should be a real moment of moral clarity. Like, the Labor Party is an institution is utterly incapable of changing itself. And the only way we are going to get any material shifts in people's lives, I hope this episode proves, um, it is is through a growing and strengthening uh, Greens movement, um, which is only just getting started. Um, but, I, you know, which um, uh, I think is worth reflecting on.
1: Do you think there's any chance that Labor, like- knew that the Greens would push for more and thus low-balled and then said they always had this this $3 billion in the, in the kitty in the back pocket to wheel out and to try and win the Greens over? Is that how good they Good question.
2: Right? I, I think, good question. I think um, uh, they didn't see this coming. Um, there was a really revealing moment in a press conference with the Prime Minister where he said, oh, um, he was getting irritated and then he said, oh, we just expected this bill to sail through. And I thought uh, it was clear in the early stages of this fight that where we, I would argue, completely outmaneuvered them at at multiple points uh, where they didn't expect that the Greens were willing to hold the line on this
3: and push for more.
2: Um, Mm. And I think in the early stages, the reason, you know, one of the reasons that Labor didn't want to barge is because they got shocked and then realized that um, here they were in a position of attempting to fight for less money for public and community housing like fighting like crazy to spend less money on public and community housing or do anything for renters. Um, and the mask was off in a way. It wasn't the Tim Gurner moment, but it was in way close to, right? Like, it was pretty close. It's pretty crazy to think that this so-called party of the worker mobilized so many resources to fight to stop doing anything for renters and public and community housing. So, no, I don't think they necessarily saw that coming. And I think if that was their plan, then they would have made concessions much earlier. Um but it is um, revealing that they kept trying to make these little small concessions and we kept banking them and then fighting for more.
1: Yep. Which is very rude, very rude of us mm. to keep winning and fighting for more. Um, I did notice that the Prime Minister in a in the press release, I guess, announcing the fact that the half had secured this fort, said, I thank the leader of the Greens for the constructive discussions. Um, no, no mention of you. <laughs> no thanks to you, the housing spokesperson. We've seen some... Uh, some spicy moments between yourself and Elbow on the, on the yeah. floor of Parliament. How are things going? Are you guys okay, your buddies, or what's what's happening?
2: Oh, big big buddies. You'll have to ask him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I take that as a like whatever. Um, I, I think he um, the thing, and you know, this is more broadly. I think for the Labor Party, how many times over the last nine months did they see there was not going to be a single extra cent? We weren't budging. This is our plan. This is the thing we took to the election, and we won. Like, mm. let's let's be very clear about this. Like, it's not it's not winning the entire. Fixing the housing crisis But they're frustrated Because then We revealed them For who they are And they're a party That want less money For public and community housing And a party That don't want anything For renters And obviously That's going to frustrate them Um, The thing is as well That that, um, Again um, While that animosity Was obviously directed Towards me I think um, The better way To think about it Is it was an animosity Directed towards A growing movement Who Up until this point Were expected To just be polite And not ask for more And not fight for it and you um, uh, was revealing that there was just as much animosity directed towards the Greens door knocking as there was to me. Like, how many times do they get up and palm? Like, how dare the Greens door knock? And I think what that revealed was um, I was just a I was just a friendly face of um, this frustration <laughs> that here was these politics is meant to be for politicians and experts in the media. Polit- politics isn't meant to be for people on the ground fighting for more. And um, they obviously got very angry about that. So- I, I think I was in the end that animosity, while directed at me, was largely directed more instructively uh, at um, uh, at this growing uppity movement that um, won't just accept the crumbs from the Labor Party. Yeah.
1: All right. Let's interrogate this decision a little bit more. I mean, as Emerald sort of alluded to, um, she's interested in the thoughts about the decision making that leads to this process. We thought, we've had Jonathan, Shira, and Nathan publicly sort of saying, stating his position pretty clearly to yourself and Adam on social media, saying he thought this is a bit shitty, we could have pressed for more, we gave up our leverage, we came too early. There may be some people listening to this who are sort of thinking, this sucks, I feel like we've been let <laughs> down, the fight was sort of given up too easily. Can you can you talk through that process a little bit more? How, did you, how do you know for sure that you couldn't have held out for more? What was that process like? How did the, the party come to that decision, or the parliamentary party come to that decision?
2: Well, the first thing to say is we'll never know for sure, right? Like that That's the nature of um these sort of uh, political fights uh, mm. and I'd be lying if I said we knew for sure because I'm not in the minds of the labor party um but and we uh obviously had um that this fight had gone on for longer than most, and um uh when you get to the point where you've locked in more money than Uh, has ever been won by the Greens since the 2000s. It's the biggest material win um, in the history of the Greens since the 2010 balance of power sharing government, Mm -hmm. um, Gillard government, um, where we were sitting in a situation where we knew as a result of our fighting now, we actually, like, we could lock in a deal that saw a material improvement in a good portion of people's lives um, where... We were coming up to a situation where one way or another the bill was either going to get voted down or voted up uh, and uh it was sort of reaching crunch point and once we voted down right like then that's it as well like that's the leverage for that had gone as well so that that was some of the decision making and i think the other part i sort of mentioned before is it was becoming increasingly clear that labor were militantly against doing anything for renters. like that they had just drew, clearly drawn the line and um i had sort of started to think well to, to win that fight um, uh, is going to take a little longer because we need to force Labor to change that political calculation. And that's, and that means building an even bigger movement than we have now. And I really agree with Emerald that um, the other thing is that we have created a self-conscious renter class. Like we've created the first foundations for that. And now there is a national debate about a rent freeze. Um, now there's a national debate about rent caps. Uh, now, seventy-four percent of the country support caps on rent increases, including fifty-eight percent of coalition voters. Uh, and we have an emboldened movement now Shit, who really? knows they can win.
1: Yes, it, I, I, I missed it. that following. That's fucking crazy. Yeah.
2: Um it was um, essential, uh, and yeah, um, which is pretty amazing. And now we have an emboldened movement that knows it can win when it fights. And the, the only barrier to getting more um, now is uh, is continuing to build that is continuing to build that movement and getting even bigger and more powerful. Like, I think if we're in this situation, right, the way to think about it is this. Over the course of this, our door-knocking campaign, we knocked on just just below 20,000 doors over this campaign. We Obviously, we had the rallies in Sydney and Brisbane. Um, but I think probably to win a national freeze and cap on rent increases, then we need to be able to knock on hundreds of thousands of doors. Mm-hmm. And we need to be able to have tens of thousands of people in rallies across the city, across the country. Uh, and, uh, uh, and we need, need it to be the case that every uh, like 10 or 20 labor MPs are sitting there thinking, "Holy crap, there's 500 volunteers in my electorate right now smothering my electorate, um, demanding a freezing cap on rent increases." And I think in that situation, then our negotiating position is even more is it even stronger? What we, though have provided is a template and proof that that works, and I think that really breaks. Um, it breaks a seal. It, bre- it, it creates this political opportunity now where people know that their their dissipation on the ground can have an effect and them as a renter acting in their own collective interests uh, can have an effect on politics. And Labor never wanted to admit that. Uh, and now they have. And, and I think that that's a really, really important first step.
1: Labor politicians will be able to say, guys, don't worry, renters. Rents are coming down because they have yes, to be passed. And yes. we've yes. built 30,000 homes and yes. uh, that's increased supply. And all these all the rents have uh, trended down now. That's, that's, that's what's right. going to happen before the next election, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, apparently. Um, the, I think the other thing to say here is it, it's within... there's Labor are um, obviously backgrounding as many Jonas as possible to try and downplay what the Greens have achieved. And it's within their interest to do that, right? Like... There's obviously a lot of Labor people online being, oh, you didn't actually win that much. Because they don't, because it's, it's difficult to admit um, that actually what happened is the Greens got $3 billion of initial of up, up investment, six years worth of what the Housing Australia Future Fund was apparently going to spend every year and mm. guaranteed the $500 million, uh, which was an, when Labor did that, admitted we were right when we said it was a gamble on the stock market and it might not invest any money. Now, they don't want to admit that for two reasons. One, the one we've talked about before, which is it- What does it say about the Labor Party who had to fight so hard to get that? But two, crucially, what they don't want to admit is that the Greens are a growing and powerful movement with the capacity to have wins like that. And so, it's within their interest to talk it down. And so, um, uh, I think we can be mature and say, of course, we always wanted more. And of course, it's um, disgraceful. And disgusting that the Labor Party want to lock in unlimited rent increases and we need a movement to fight back against the Labor Party who now are basically the political arm of the fossil fuel real estate and property lobby but on the other hand we should sit back and at least celebrate that our our burgeoning a, and and newly emerging movement has just secured more money for public and community housing than any other move any other campaign uh, hats uh, and uh, and, I, and I think that that should be a moment of pause regret that we're not bigger but also celebration that um that th- look this is where our movement has got to uh, and it's yeah. a sign that where it can go to
1: two quick things uh just on this decision um did the the noises about the double dissolution play a role at all was that a part of the political calculus and what do you think of this idea that, you know put forward by some that such a decision as to whether or not the party should regress, should have been put to the membership, those kind of strategy questions from the parliamentary party being put to Greens members. What do you make of those two fronts?
2: So, look, on the double dissolution, I mean, um, certainly it's always been my view to bring it on. Like um, uh, if they wanted to go to an election on where one side was saying more for for renters, the one-third of this country, more investment for public and community housing and phasing out negative gearing and capital gains tax concessions, in the middle of the worst housing crisis we've seen in generations. and On the other hand, it was the Labor Party saying we want to do less, then fine. The reality is that was always an empty threat. Like, Labor are not... The idea that Labor would threaten their very precarious, by the way, majority, like it's only a few seats, and Mm. um, they may well lose some seats in WA and go early and threaten their first-term Labor government was always just nonsensical. Like, it was never going to happen. It would be... I mean, obviously, the Labor Party in the past have acted very self-destructively, um, and so they could have made that self-destructive decision, um, but maybe even that way, of been of a stretch for them. On the second question, yeah, sure. I mean, there always needs to be, we always need to find new ways, um, to enhance democratic participation. Um, I think it's never as simplistic as just balloting the members, uh, like, A, that it doesn't require, doesn't allow for a, a lot of those sort of more nuanced and strategic discussions, um, I think it's true that trying to find ways to get all the people who are fighting for this collectively to have more of a collective say over those decisions I think is always a good good pathway forward. Um, mm. it, it is difficult because obviously what's clear is sometimes the, the things that occur in Parliament occur very quickly um, and uh, uh, it's sometimes hard to marry that sort of democratic participation with the speed with which decisions need to be made. We attempted to trial some of that stuff with this, so we had obviously the 15 online housing canals, I think I ended up speaking to collectively like well over a thousand members and supporters, we ran a member survey and vote and, and, vote, and we did all that door knocking, uh, attempted to try and understand where the membership and, and border supporter base was around what they thought should happen, um, but of course that's always imperfect.
1: Um, and there is another town hall coming up, details of which we've mentioned before on the podcast. We'll remind you of those at the end of this podcast too. Um, finally, just on this on this front, before we move on to, you know, what's next, I mean, I found myself thinking this a little bit when I heard the news that the half uh, that the Greens had come to a position. So we've had this a few times now, right? We had this on the climate target that Labor's trying to get through, um, Greens making the case, fighting more, eventually compromising and 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 supporting the climate target. Same with safeguard mechanism and now with housing. So I suppose I do have some level of sympathy for some people who might say that uh, the more times this keeps happening, does that affect our ability to negotiate? Like how seriously do people take the idea that the Greens will vote down certain legislation? I mean, Sarah Hansen-Young's been making noises about in the um, murray Daly Basin as well. I don't know, if, if we repeatedly, you know, um, make the case and then eventually come to a level of compromise, does that wear away at how seriously people take our negotiating skills and the stuff we want to fight for?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I think we, we I've always said this before, we always need to be prepared to vote down bills. And so my position was if Labor didn't budge on on getting, um, coughing up the extra billion, uh, then I think we should have voted down the half. Mm. Uh, and I think Labor knew that. Like, I don't think anyone can, acu- like the number of times, I mean, the media already reported that the Greens had voted down the half multiple times and blocked it. Yeah. Um, like we delayed it multiple times uh, uh, until Labor agreed to start negotiating. And I think the reason we got the billions is because Labor realized we were serious. And um, actually, we were in a position where if they didn't budge a single bit, then we were willing to, them to go, tell them to go jump. Uh, and I think if we hadn't created that, then we wouldn't have got the extra billion. Um, like, I think it, it's worthwhile considering it's significant to force a majority federal government mm. to, to distribute an extra $3 billion. Like, force yes. the treasurer to tip into the budget kitty and get that money out
1: particularly this i mean it shouldn't be particularly when they're handing down a 20 billion dollar surplus for fuck's sake but it is particularly when you've got this you know fiscal responsibility borderline austerity mindset that's infected both neoliberal parties but certainly the labor party's not uh, was terrified, of course, of spending too big, as you said, keeping people mired in poverty, even though they could lift them out of poverty. Because, well, we just we just can't fuel inflation, and uh, that's the mindset that we're up against. So, yes, three billion dollars is, I know, in the grand scheme of things, of the federal budget, budget, it doesn't feel like huge amounts of money, but it's it is a pretty massive win.
2: Yeah, big time. The other thing to say is we also need to to for these fights to even be more successful in the future, and so that we have plans, we can talk about that soon. Um, we also do need. Um, we're to continue to build our party capacity and movement because we're in a better position, for instance, to vote things down if we feel like Labour aren't negotiating. Uh, again, where we are capable of mobilising thousands of volunteers across the country because obviously the media throughout this process has been very hostile by and large and uh, and the way to uh, counteract the media's capacity to shape narratives is that build our capacity to reach people directly. And obviously we're at a certain limit at that but- um, that's certainly, I think, a challenge for the broader party to give it to put us in an even better position in the future.
1: Yeah. All right, I'm conscious of your time, Max. I know you're is very it? busy and you're uh, you've got to head off relatively soon, so we might try and go a little bit quick fire on, on these last ones. But I think looking ahead, you know, where to from here. Obviously, the half has been passed. It's it's we're being told it's going to start rolling out over the next couple of weeks. Property industry is very excited. Uh, lots of people are feeling good and has been generally a support and endorsement of of the fact that it passed, and also, I think, a general recognition of the kind of wins we've managed to extract. So thumbs up to us. Yeah. But as Emerald was asking about, what are these upcoming fights in which we can continue the fight for renters' rights? I know there's a shared equity scheme coming down the pipeline that we're yep. talking about. What's what's going on there?
2: So um, maybe just quickly before I get to that, the Emerald's other question was just about the detail of the, um, of the wins that we got. So just very oh, yeah. quickly, um, the Social Housing Accelerator, is $2 billion, as I think I said before, that's distributed to the states and territories on a per capita basis. uh, And uh, then the states and territories have conditions on that money and how they can spend it. So, that money can only be spent directly on public or community housing. uh, And um, it can only be spent on new public or community housing uh, and or fixing up homes that are currently unused because they're in a state of disrepair. Mm -hmm. Then the billion dollars that we just secured goes to what's called the National Housing Finance Investment Corporation. It's basically the federal government's housing, statutory housing body, publicly owned body. uh, And the conditions on that money are similar, but it doesn't have to go to the states and territories. It can only go to public and community housing. Again, the reason we were pushing so hard for direct investment outside of the half is if it's direct capital investment like these two buckets of money are, it's way more likely to be spent on public housing than community housing. Because state governments are more likely to dip into that and spend it directly because they can just take the capital and put it towards building public housing. So, we consider that important. The other one we actually haven't been able to talk about that much on this detail is we want a concession from the government that any dollar spent um, on new public and community housing out of all of these funds um, has to build homes that are uh, to a um, pretty good level of disability accessibility so um, and energy efficiency. So up until this point, we had the government wasn't gonna guarantee that, but what we guaranteed was, it's called universal accessibility silver standard. So basically all the homes um, have to be disability accessible. Accessible. So it, uh, we actually are on some concessions also on the design and the way these homes are gonna be built as well, which I think is significant. On the where to from here. So yeah, that's right. So there's the shared equity scheme. Uh, we don't actually know all the details of that yet. We're waiting for them, but the broad details are that Labor has this proposal that um, 10,000 people every year could access this scheme where the government would help them buy their first home. But it's very restrictive. And one of the restrictions is they put a cap on the house price that you could actually use to access that home. Um, So, for instance, in Brisbane, I think it's about $650,000. Good luck finding a house to buy in Brisbane for less less than $650,000. And it's obviously, of course, only 10,000 people a year. Um, for four years. Now, yeah, what we have said is, um, we'll look at that, but uh, what uh, I think Labor now sort of have noticed, they recognise now, because we pushed and fought for nine months, we're in a very good bargaining position on this, because Labor know it's all going to happen again if we do end up in the balance of power. Now, for us to end up in the balance of power, the coalition have to oppose the bill for their own cooked reasons, uh, and that puts us in a position, and I wanna be very clear about this. Like, We have now mobilized and established a movement capable of um, undergirding and strengthening our negotiating position in parliament. We'd be mad not to use that again. Like, We are now in a stronger position than we were nine months ago, more emboldened position. We're in a position where we know we can win and now we're gonna go into these future fights um, and we sure as hell aren't just gonna pass it without getting anything. And I think we're even in a stronger position to get something real for renters uh, because uh, we've also proven To that sort of middle Australia that the Greens are willing to negotiate in good faith. And so that I think also builds some goodwill. Like Labour can't lie anymore and say the Greens are these crazy radicals who will just block everything no matter what they get. Now the public knows actually, well, no, the Greens are actually willing to fight for real material wins and then be pragmatic in certain situations as well. So I think we've actually broadened our scope and reach and our capacity to fight on these. And certainly if any other housing bill comes up, let me guarantee you this, Labour have got another thing coming if they think that... (laughs) We're just going to roll over for nothing. And I think hopefully uh, this last nine months has proven that.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, another victory in a sort of rhetorical political debate section. The housing debate has always been about about ownership, right? Yes. And obviously, that's important and there are lots of things to fight for on that front too. But to constantly connect the idea whenever we're talking about housing, we're talking about all forms of housing and people's relationship to housing. And as we say, ad nauseum, a third of this country rents. They have rights, goddammit, and the Greens are going to fight for them and we're going to be the party of renters, so that's good news. We have that rental inquiry that we got everyone to submit for. What's happening with that? Is that coming down soon? How do we think that's going to play into the case?
2: Um, Interim report coming out late September and then a final report in November, and uh, we've had over 17,000 submissions to that, which is pretty incredible. Um, And, look, that will be another moment, I think, uh, to build the case, Uh, and uh, that's set up to help us continue the fight. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of really awful, awful stories revealed out of that. We've already seen some of the media reporting on it. And I think that just helps strengthen that voice of renters on the national stage and also provide the evidence base to keep fighting. And I, and I think um, that's another moment. And I think the other thing to say is, and I said this in the media as well, is it may be that out of all of these fights, it takes Labor going to the next round of state and federal elections, of which there are many coming up at the moment. And losing a bunch of seats to the Greens and then realizing, oh, oh, we're going to get wiped out electorally if we don't shift on, on, on rents mm-hmm. and, and renters uh, and fixing the housing system more broadly. That, that may be it, but that's also a form of power as well. And so, I think it's worth reflecting that we, we're going to get to a situation where we go to the next fe- federal election and state elections where there is now a super majority of people who support the Greens' position to freeze and cap rents. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a that's a form of power. And I think everyone should be very proud of that.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's important to hang on to that. So obviously, during this whole debate, it was pretty rough going a lot of the times and you had this emerging consensus across organizations like the AFR, the serious danger paper of, of choice. Um, Every neoliberal economist, every liberal economist, of course, every conservative economist, all the think tanks coming out constantly, uh, and including some people who might be considered broadly our allies on lots of other fronts, you know, regularly repeating the idea that it is widespread economic expert opinion that rent freezes and rent controls do not work. There was this stuff from Kate Shaw, who's an urban geographer who wrote for the Saturday paper. She was on an episode of the 7am, their podcast as well too. That I thought was yeah really worthwhile. Yeah. We'll link in the show notes if people want to check it out. Um, basically saying that it is in no way the consensus opinion across the world that rent freezes and controls yeah. don't work, and there are actually lots of examples of it working. And the often the examples cited by certain economists do not tell you the full story, and there's there's more to find out there. But I suppose you know having listened to a few podcasts about the housing debate this week, you hear from lots and lots of mainstream journalists sort of saying well, you know, the Greens idea wouldn't actually work and everyone from Philip yeah, yeah. down, I believe was a phrase David Spears used, uh, agree that rent controls don't work. In the popular imagination, in the popular debate, do you think we've, we've made progress on the ideas of rent control and rent freezes? Are we losing that or is that just media bullshit that I'm listening to?
2: It's pretty remarkable. If you think about where we were, as Emerald said, nine or 12 months ago, where no one even knew the idea of a rent freeze um, and there was very little talk about rent caps. Mm. Um, And I think probably if you did poll the population back then, then there would have been more mixed support. Um, It's never a better representation, I think, this debate of the separation and disconnect between the political and media class and ordinary people than this. On every single poll, a large majority of people from different polling companies now all support a freeze and cap on rent increases. Like that's pretty amazing. Essential polled and found over 60% support for a rent freeze um, Mm. until the economic conditions improved. Uh, they then polled around more specifically about a rent cap and rent freeze. The combined support for that rental regulation was then over 74%. And as, as again, 58% of coalition supporters. And also now, people are starting to watch around the world. as like Germany looks to freeze rent increases for three years, like Scotland, Spain, and a bunch of other countries. And yeah, there's this situation now. And I think this is part of the reason why um, you're starting to also see the Greens' vote increase in all of these demographics. A lot of people going, hang on, what? I know rent like I want rent caps and rent freezes. Like I, A, they do work, by the way. They just don't work for property developers and property investors.
1: <laughs>
2: uh which like boo-hoo, Tim Gurner. Um, uh, <laughs> like that's the thing, right? This is the crazy thing. I tell We're you why, that guy but out
1: more. He's gonna be the face yeah, of the campaign, I think. Yeah. Face <laughs> of the
2: camp. They should be but but that's who the Labour Party's fighting for. <laughs> that's who the Labour Party's fighting for. Like him. And and, okay. and and I think increasingly a lot of people are starting to get that. Like, a lot of people are starting to get that. And so, now when we go to the door and we go door knocking and we say, hey, we should limit rent increases. We should put a cap in them. Vast majority of people agree. And, and I think that's the first step to winning. Uh, and, you know, that, oh, I'd like, first they laugh at you, first they, then they fight you, then you win. Like, we were mocked at first for, for the freeze proposal when, when we first announced it last year. And now there is a pretty vicious fight to try and stop us from winning it. Uh, and I think that's because they're starting to realize um, we're winning this. Um, and winning takes time, and changing property relations in this country is going to take time. But I would say that we're on the first step to doing it.
1: And now I've got Jono Shirang and Nathan, uh, Brisbane Lord Mayor candidate, announcing policies to jack up Airbnb fees by a thousand percent. I think ten thousand dollars a year more people. These are these you know the terrible investors who run, run out the Airbnb. Uh, properties every single year. So not, not someone who might occasionally dip into Airbnb for their the home they live in, but the people who do this to make shitloads of money. Jack it up to actively scare and piss off investors. Piss off and scare away investors, I believe, is the direct quote.
2: <laughs> so that's,
3: uh,
1: that's a bit of fun as well, eh?
2: Yeah, just, it, it,
1: it is interesting to note that
2: um, we got this um, data from the ABS and one of the other... So um, of all property investor investment... Over 80% of it goes to existing properties, and only 10% of it goes to actually building new properties. So, a uh, you know a good way a good objection handler to deal with the idea that property investors somehow supply new housing, and by and large they're just hoarding homes that could otherwise be
1: bought by first home buyers. If you're paying the rent, you're supplying housing to your landlord, <laughs> not the other way around. <laughs> Max has to go. Uh, Thank you so much. I hope that people listen to this, particularly people who might have felt bummed out this week or disappointed that this is where the fight on this particular housing bill ends, you know, feel like their answers might be, uh, questions might be answered. If you have more, you can always get in touch with the show or you can attend Max's next housing town hall. It's happening on Wednesday, the 27th of September at 6 p.m. Again, we'll put a link in the show notes if you want to come along to that. Do you have to be a member to attend those, Max, or no? No, no, no.
2: Anyone can come along, Um, including Labor Party spies, if
1: they like Hey, Bob's bu- up the numbers. <laughs> I've attended the last uh, Housing Town Hall. Max answers all the questions. They're very informative, well worth your time if you want to check that out. Another little call to action. If you are an Australian citizen aged 18 years or older, you are legally required to vote in the upcoming referendum. You must be correctly enrolled by 8 p.m. local time, Monday 18th of September. That is tomorrow night. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out, We've talked a lot about The Voice. We'll talk about more between now and October 14th. But just on a legal note, make sure your uh, enrollment details are up to date. Uh, We'll put a link to the AEC website for that too if you're 18 years older and you want to vote. I'm going to be voting yes for The Voice. The Greens are voting yes. They're supporting a yes. Uh, The no campaign sucks broadly. Uh, But, hey, decision is up to you to get involved. Max, thank you so much for talking to us on the show about housing and thanks for fighting as always. And we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. So catch you later. Thanks, Maxie. Hey, rate and review this show on Apple Podcast. or wherever you're listening. We'd appreciate that. Go to SeriousDangerPod.com for more information. You can email us anytime. Hello at SeriousDangerPod.com. Emerald shall turn in coming weeks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye.
3: Bye-bye.